0: Mark chapter 9 is where we pick up in verse 14. Having come off the mountain, Jesus with just Peter, James, and John, nine disciples he had left uh, together at the base of the mountain. What mountain? We don't know for sure. Probably Mount Hermon. This is in the north of the sea, north portion of the Sea of, of Galilee where Mount Hermon is. The, we've been on our trips to Israel and you can see it, the snow-covered peaks of Mount Hermon, the headwaters for the Jordan River coming from that snow melt that comes from there. Nine of the disciples are down at the base of the mountain. Jesus uh, takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. He's transfigured. He's metamorphosized, if that's even a word, there right before them. And uh, Peter says, hey, it's great that we're here. We should just hang, we should stay here. We should build three tabernacles here, three tents and, or three booths, and just hang out here and stay here. And uh, of course, that wasn't the plan. They come down from the mountain just as when Moses came down from the mountain, the people had been worshiping the golden calf and there was trouble in the camp. Just as us as men, when we came down from YDI, from the mountaintop experience, we knew that trouble could potentially be waiting us, that all hell mounts a, an attack when you have a spiritual experience, when you are seeking to further your spiritual life. And so uh, many of the guys, as we were coming down, we, before we left, we prayed, oh Lord, you know, help us out, because we know that Satan is waiting to undo everything that you've done on this retreat, and, and, you know, you come home, and everything's a mess, and the car needs an inspection, and then the dishwasher breaks, and the cat, you know, is, is having trouble, or, you know, the dog needs to go to the vet, and everything seems to have fallen apart, right? And you come back down, and you're just, you know, glowing from your spiritual experience, and all of a sudden, life hits you again. I know a lot of us guys, it was such a great experience that we were like, man, let's just stay here, you know, let's not go home. And we just, this is a great experience, but we've, we've got to go. We've got work to do in the world, And I came home to a house full of women and young girls. It was my daughter's 18th birthday party. So immediately, like, right there, I am like, ah, I was just with all men, and now I'm with all women. This is confusing me. But it was, was, so, so they come off the mountain. Verse 14 tells us, so Jesus, uh, when he came to the disciples, the, the disciples that he had left behind, he saw a great multitude around them, and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed, and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? So as Jesus and and the three come down off the mountain, they see troubles brewing. And in the Middle East, when you have an argument, when you have a dispute, I mean, hands are flying, and voices are elevated, and boy, they know how to have an argument. They know how to have a a deliberation. So the scribes are way, way out of their territory. I mean, they hang out, usually the scribes and the Pharisees, they're Jerusalem-based. Jerusalem's a fairly long distance from Mount Hermon, from the north region of the Sea of Galilee. So they're clearly kind of keeping a close eye on Jesus and his ministry. They're looking for any opportunity they can to bring doubt or to bring dissension uh, to his ministry. So there they are, and Jesus comes down, and there's a dispute going on. And, and Jesus enters himself right into that. He just kind of bar- barges right in and says, Hey, what are you guys discussing? What's going on here? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashing his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. So right away, Jesus is met with this problem, this challenge. His disciples had been down there. A man had brought his son down. To the disciples you know again jesus is not there he actually brought his son to jesus but jesus was not available now aren't we glad for the, the pouring out of the holy spirit you know we jesus you know, sometimes you'd ask yourself well which would be better you know for jesus to be here in bodily form or for him to have left well clearly it's better that he went to be with his father because that's when he could pour out the spirit of god now all of us can be filled with the spirit all over the world the church can be filled with the Spirit, the presence of Christ in the church, in our lives, all over the world. Jesus, when he was here in his human body, was limited by that physical body. So someone could show up and say, oh, Jesus isn't here. He's gone fishing. Which, you know, called his disciples to be fishers of men, so you could really say that. But, uh, so he wasn't there. So the disciples like, well, I guess you guys will have to do. You know, the B team will have to do. So he brings this kid And he says he's got a mute spirit. Maybe your Bible, if you read a King James, says he's got a dumb spirit. And that doesn't mean he got bad grades in school. It's not that kind of, you know, dumb. It means he couldn't speak. So he's he's demon-possessed. And the demon, the, the, the presence of this demonic spirit in him is causing him to have a physical issue. It looks very much like a form of epilepsy, or he's having seizures of some sort. Uh, it it's even says that it seizes him, so his muscles all tense up and throws him to the ground. And this is a violent thing. And he foams at the mouth. Again, this would be common of someone having a seizure. The uh, salivary glands contract and express more saliva, and so it looks like foaming at the mouth, the tongue gets in the way of the throat, and so that the, the saliva can't drain. So this is what's happening he becomes rigid. And so imagine that this was your son. Later on, we're going to find out, he, he tells Jesus that every time that this spirit keeps trying to throw him in the fire or throw him in the water, I mean, this spirit is trying to destroy this kid. And and I think that we often, we have a very medical model in our lives. We we tend to go, everything is a medical issue. And, and they're not... Everything is not a spirit demonic possession. You know, you, you, get a, you get the flu. You know, that's not necessarily a demonic. You know, you got, the, you got the spirit of, you know, indigestion or something like that. No, that's not what it is. Paul told Timothy, hey, take a little wine for your stomach steak. Timothy had stomach problems. And Paul didn't say, well, you're clearly possessed by a, the demon of indigestion or whatever it is. And, and you need to, to, to cast that out. That's not what he said. He said, you know, medicinal. There's, there's a place for medicine. But not every... Thing is clearly, distinctly medically related. Sometimes it's a spiritual issue that has a physical component. Now, we understand it, that there, there's a link between your brain and your body. There is. You know, We would talk about psychosomatic disorders, uh, something in your brain that causes something in your body. So there's a connection there. I think it's even deeper than that. There's a connection between your brain, your spirit, and your body. And sometimes your spiritual life Has an effect on your physical life. I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Corinthian church was gathering together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, communion. But they were a loveless church. I mean, they had all the gifts of the Spirit working, but they lacked love. And so when they'd come together for a meal, they were all about me, all about selfishness. And so that they would, you know, the people that were there first would eat all the food so no one else had any food, and they were getting drunk on the communion wine. Imagine going to that church, huh? We're not, honey, we're not coming back to this church again. Not only did they not, maybe they said hi to you, but they were drunk when they said it. Hi, welcome to our church, you know. I don't know if this is a good place for us. And so Paul just has to discipline them about, has to talk to them about this. He says, look, because you're not discerning the body, because you're not understanding that it's not about you, you're part of this bigger thing called the church, because Christ died to be, to give You know, on that that night he was betrayed, he broke the bread and he gave. And Because you're not living this way, he says, some of you are sick and some of you are weak and some have died. And if you would judge yourself, if you would, hey, if you would recognize this for yourself, then you wouldn't be going through these things. So there was a physical issue that resulted in or resulted from a spiritual issue. And I look at the kid, we don't know how old this kid is. There's an indication here that this started in his life when he was possibly in infancy or or as a very young child. We don't know how old old he is now. We don't know how long this has been in his life. But any of us would see and look around, we see that, I mean, I see just what teenagers are going through, what our children are facing today. And the self-destructive Coping skills, I guess you could say. So if it's self-destructive, it's not of God. God. God has a lot to say about our body, our bo- using our body for his purposes, that, that even my body is not my own. I've been bought with a price. So I worship God, not just in my spirit, but even in my body. I, I take it to how I work with my body, the things I use my, the body is not for sexual immorality. It's not my body, it's Christ's body. And so I'm not free to just do with my body whatever I want. And, and the destruction, the self-destructive things are not of the Lord. And our kids are getting, getting inundated with messages and about, you know, and trying to cope with things in self-destructive ways. And so that, there's a spiritual component to this. This guy is, I'm not saying your kids are all demon-possessed, but... You know, I'm saying that there's a... We have to look, number one, I like the least invasive thing first. Let's, let's talk about how's your spiritual life. You know, instead of running to the doctor for medicine. And I'm not saying medicine is bad. If it's a medical issue, it needs medical attention. But if it's a spiritual issue, pills can't help that. Repentance can help that. Confessions can help that. Forgiveness can help that. So you got to make sure you understand which is which here. Uh, prayer can help that. So... I'm not saying, you know, there's a time for, for a spiritual solution to a spiritual problem. it's a medical solution for a medical problem. And sometimes the medical problem may have spiritual roots. For this kid, you can't deny that's the truth, isn't it? His physical problem has a spiritual root, and it has got to be destroying his dad's life. I mean, I don't mean that like his dad is angry with him. I'm saying his dad has to watch this. And you want to talk about helpless? You Because we're all fixers, aren't we? we like to, that's why I understand where the pill mentality comes from. I understand it completely. Because who likes to see people suffer? We don't. I don't like to see my kids suffer. I don't like to see my wife. I don't like to see me suffer. So if I can take a pill and stop suffering, then great. Or not. Maybe sometimes the pill might get in the way of the work that God wants to do. Or, or are you finding actually, instead of a temporary solution... Maybe a more permanent one. And so I'm sure this dad has just has tried to keep his son safe, has been with him. I mean, he's in Food Lion and he has a seizure and down in the frozen food section he goes. And he's at the, they're at Pleasant Grove and they're for a walk and then a seizure hits him. And all the time this guy is just trying to, to deal with helping his son and seeing him you know, stiffen up and, and foam at the mouth and, and having to watch his son suffer that way. And actually Matthew says he suffered greatly. And so he comes to Jesus. Jesus isn't there. So he, so he says, all right, well, maybe you guys can help us. No, yeah, we can help. Absolutely. When we, was, we, we got sent out by Jesus a, number, a while ago on a mission trip, and he gave us power over unclean spirits. We got this. We've done this before, man. This isn't our, our, our first show. And uh, so they go to begin to try to cast this out, cast this demon out. Even if you remember... When they had come back from their little short-term mission trip, back to Jesus, and Jesus says, Hey, guys, how'd it go? Oh, man, Jesus, you'll never believe it. Even the the unclean spirits were subject to us. It was amazing. We had power, real power. And so they're no doubt, they're very confident. This is no problem at all. We've been here before, but they begin to try to cast out the demon, and they failed. They failed. And this was wacko. And this hadn't happened before. And they're looking at each other like, well, let's try again. You know, uh, come out of him. Nothing happens. And, and not only are they frustrated, and this is the whole dispute is now going on because they tried to cast out this demon. They couldn't do it. The Pharisees are watching. And what an opportunity to say, ha, we told you. You're believing, you know, Jesus is a nobody. He's a, he's, he's, he's a liar. He's deluded. And you guys are wasting your time following him. See, we've been telling you, and they're disputing back and they're disputing back and forth. Meanwhile, the kid's laying on the ground. I think the church can get into that too much. Like we're busy disputing about stuff. It's like, hey, wait a second. There's people that are dying. Shouldn't we figure out what's going on? Why we can't help them? Why we're lacking power in the church? Why we're lacking effectiveness in ministry? Because they don't know. I mean, they, they don't have the answer. All they know is they tried to cast out the demon. They tried to do spiritual warfare and They failed. And so uh, the father now is discouraged with Jesus' disciples. Like you've never met anybody that said, well, I love Jesus, but at the church I can't stand. Jesus, yes. Christians, no. Because they've been hurt. They've been failed. They came expecting something and it didn't happen. They came hoping for something and no one said hi. And so I understand where this father's coming from. I I came thinking they could cast it out and they could not. This is what he tells Jesus, your disciples failed. And so now he's going, I don't even know, I don't know what to believe anymore. I don't know where to go. So Jesus answered him and said, oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Bring him to me. So it seems like to me as I read this, like Jesus is a little bit frustrated. Does it seem that way to you? Seems he's a little bit frustrated. And and I think he probably is because he is getting ever closer to his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection, and handing over the baton of changing the world to his disciples. And they're still struggling with the ABCs of faith. He says, look at what he says to his disciples. And that's probably who he's speaking to. Oh, faithless. The issue is, oh, faithless. He doesn't say, well, you guys are no longer, you're, you're not being relevant enough. I mean, Peter, look what you're wearing. Nobody wears that today. You really need you need to dress better. You need to dress like the kids dress these days, and that that would then you'd be able to cast out the demon from the kids. You know, you need to. He doesn't say that. It's not an issue of form. It's an issue of foundation. It's an issue of faith. So maybe you know they had done this all along. Maybe they began to think that they just had the power in themselves to do it. That they were the source. You know, even though they had the whole feeding of the 5,000 thing where Jesus clearly taught them, you're not the source, I'm the source. You come to me, I give to you, you give to others. He was teaching them, I'm the vine, you're the branches. But somehow they, they couldn't do it. Jesus says, you know, hey, how, I don't have a lot of time left. How long am I going to have to continue teaching you guys these basic lessons of faith? And we understand that. We could, he could be saying that to us, couldn't he? He could be saying that to the church today. And then he says, bring him to me. And I think it's, it's very common for people to confuse Jesus with the church. Now, we are the body of Christ. And I know that. And you know that. But you get, you don't, the church doesn't have any inherent, inherent power in itself. The church does not contain its own power. We have a source. The source of, of anything we do is Christ. I mean, think about Peter when he heals the guy at Gate Beautiful. Acts chapter 3, I think. They begin to look at Peter like, wow, you are awesome. And Peter could say, yeah, we, pretty aw- we are pretty awesome, aren't we? I mean, did you see what we just did with that guy? I mean, he was lame all the time, and now he's up dancing and running around. Like, we are pretty awesome. we, you know, we got a good thing going here. And, but Peter knows better. He knows that he learned the lesson here. He said, hey, don't look at us. I mean, as if, as if something about us healed this guy, as if it was our power or our godliness that did this. He says it's, it's through faith, faith in his name. It's through faith in Jesus' name. So sometimes people will come to the church. You know, well, pastor, can you do, you know, can you do this? Can you do that? No, You've got to go to Jesus. You've got to bring your friend to Jesus. Now, maybe that involves bringing them to church, but if we just introduce them to Calvary Chapel, Fluvanna, they're in a sorry state. You bring them here to be introduced to the only one that has power to help them. And if you think that somehow someone in the church is going to have the power to help you or fix you, you are sorely mistaken. All we can do is point you to the one who can and pray to the one who can and call on the one who can. So Jesus says, bring him to me. Then they brought him to him and when he he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. They brought the young guy or however old he is and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. What a scene. I mean, what a... This is scary. I mean, when, this, when someone has a seizure, like in church, it's like, it's scary. I mean, it's a little undoing. You know, it's kind of weird to see. And that's what happens as the, uh, the spirit, the demonic spirit in this young man uh, sees Jesus and immediately responds, begins to, to convulse this kid even more. And Jesus sees this, verse 21, and he asked his father, the, the kid's father, How long has this been happening to him? And to me, that struck me as an odd question. Does that strike you as an odd question? Like, why does Jesus even have to ask that? Like, just heal him. Like, who cares how long it's been going on? And the only thing I can think of as I read this is what we see coming through is just the compassion of Christ. I mean, he sees the severity of the issue in this guy's son. And he goes, man, how long have you been dealing with this? And I, and I meet people like that too. Again, you bring them to church, and I pray you do. I pray you go out into the highways and the byways, and you beat the bushes, and you bring people that don't feel like they're like they're worthy to come. Say, so yes, bring them. And I meet people, and I hear the story, and I go, how long have you been dealing with that addiction? I mean, how long have you been struggling with, with, that, with the marriage that way? Because you just see it's been 17 years and we're at each other's throats and we're miserable and we're disgusted with each other and we can't live like this anymore. I go, oh man, it breaks my heart when I know there's a cure. When I know there's help. And I think that's Jesus' compassion coming through going, as he sees this kid and the guy, how long has this been going on? And the guy answers him says, from childhood. Oh man, that, and some of you, either you or you know someone that has issues all the way back to childhood a father that rejected parents that were divorced when you were young issues that crept in addictions that started all the way from childhood now you're in your 40s you're in your 50s you've been this way for years and it's like oh it's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking when you know there's when you know that jesus is the way the truth and the life when you know that whom the son sets free is free indeed And so he says it's from childhood. And look how bad. And just to tell you a little more, Jesus, you're not even seeing the whole picture. Verse 22 says, and often he has thrown him both into the fire, into the water to destroy him. You have an enemy. He He is out to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what makes it even sadder because I know I hate to see Satan winning in people's lives. People getting their lives destroyed. Their identities messed up. Everything just out, twisted, trying to... De- that is Satan's plan for you. He will offer you temporary glory or temporary uh, false healing or, or temp- temporary solution that will cause you long-term destruction. Paul even says, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. Well, I got to be able to deal. I got to be able to, to handle it. I can't, you know, I need to cope. So I need my six-pack at night. I need my bottle of wine to unwind. And Paul says, don't be drunk with wine. It's a ripoff for what God wants to do in your life. Don't be drunk with wine, but keep being filled with the spirits. Not the spirits. The spirits. That's where life comes from. So he keeps trying to destroy him. And then look at what the guy says. But if you can do anything, can you almost hear the, the... despair in his heart. Like, I've tried everything. Look, I've been everywhere. Your disciples couldn't do it. And he says, but, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And he betrays his heart with the word if. If. He questions Jesus' power. And I know many people have been there. You know, I don't even know. I've heard about this Jesus, but I don't know. I, mean, I think I'm beyond hope. I think our condition is different. I think our condition is unique. Our, our situation is nobody else has been through what we're going through. And I don't even know if I can, I don't even know what to believe anymore. So if you can do anything, hey, it'd be great. Have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus catches that word if. Watch this. It's like a ping pong with Jesus, you know. And so Jesus says to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. You see, he'd stop believing He'd given up even hoping. So the issue wasn't, the guy's issue was, Jesus, I'm not sure if you can even have the power to do it. And Jesus says, oh, don't you worry about me. I'm not sure you have the faith to believe I can do it. And if you don't have the faith to believe it, you'll never see it. So he takes the guy's statement and he puts it right back to him. And I like what Jesus says here. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now Mark uses that statement 3 times in his gospel. Once here, once in reference to rich people going to heaven. Is how does a rich person then get to heaven? It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter heaven. And they thought, "Hey, rich people are blessed by God automatically in." Jesus says, "No, it's not quite that way." And he says, "All things are possible with God." You know, how can how can then someone be how can a person be saved? All things are possible with God. So that's another second place. The third place is interesting. It's at the end of the gospel, toward the end of the gospel, chapter 14. This is Jesus in the garden, sweating great drops of blood, praying, Father, take this cup from me. You know the scene, you know the situation. And this is how he words it in Mark. He cries out, Abba, our daddy, father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. So Jesus in the garden says, hey, I know, God, with you, there's no lack of power. All things are possible with you. But I know you also have no lack of a plan. So I submit myself to your plan. And, of course, his plan was not to take this cup from Jesus. His plan was for Jesus to take the cup. Because you might say, you know, we love this story because we, we connect with this guy. Jesus says to him, if you can believe... All things are possible to him who believes. And you're going, you know, I had a situation. I believed. It it, it didn't seem like it, it didn't happen. I didn't see what I thought I would see. The person died or the thing didn't get fixed or I'm still struggling with the pain. Verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out. Immediately. When Jesus said that, immediately he cried out. And said with tears. I mean, imagine almost like he's held it together for so long. You know, he's, he's held it, you know, the stiff upper lip. I'm just going to, just, I'm getting through. And Jesus says this to him. And it just put the finger right on the fact that he'd stopped believing. And as soon as Jesus said that to him, he knew it. And it, it, it just, the floodgates opened. You ever have someone just, they come up to you and they say something. And all of a sudden, they just say, I'm sorry to hear what you're going through, and all of a sudden, boom, it just comes out, right? It's Sunday morning, you're in the fellowship, and you're having your coffee, and someone knows, and they say something, and ha, the floodgates open, and that's what happens for this guy. The floodgates open, he starts to cry, he's so frustrated, he's so tired, and he says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. And that's, I think, why we love this story, why of all the stories, that, that, of all the things that Jesus has done, all that couldn't be contained in in the books of the world because he did so much, God makes sure that this, this it's in the Gospel of Matthew, it's in the Gospel of Mark, it's in the Gospel of Luke. Mark gives us the greatest amount on it because we need to hear this because we go, amen, that's me. Now, he says, Lord, I believe. uh, You know, a lot of people would say they believe, but then there's no activity that goes with that. Uh, I, I believe mentally, but I've never. there's no demonstration of it in my life. So there's a synonym, uh, another way that this word is translated. You can say the, the word commit. Lord, I'm committed, but help my lack of commitment. And I think maybe that describes some of us better. Like, I, I know, I, I believe in God, I believe what the Bible says, but I'm just not willing to, I'm just not able to, I'm just not ready to, I'm not sure. You know, there's some things... People ask me questions at work and I don't know how to answer them. And, and sometimes we think faith and doubt are uh, disconnected, like they can't exist together. But I'm here to tell, tell you that they go hand in hand. In my life, they go hand in hand. You think I got it all figured out? You think that Pastor Steve has read through the whole Bible and goes, yeah, got it perfectly, no problem, got it all. I still have great big questions, things I don't understand. But then, who doesn't? The atheists have things they don't understand. In the beginning, there was nothing, and it banged. You you tell me you understand that? That's why we say, you know, it's it's a faith. Whether you believe in God or you believe in evolution, it's both faith because nobody was there. And nobody knows for sure. I mean, we know for sure because we believe God's word, if you have faith. How about how you doing with the resurrection? Lord, I'm committed. I believe. Help my unbelief. I mean, I was a biology major. So the idea that I could that, that that when I die and my my body will back you know back to dust, but someday the trumpet's gonna sound, the dead in Christ will rise first, the rapture of the church, that we're gonna be resurrected to new bodies. Physical, that Jesus' resurrection was absolutely real and physical. He wasn't a ghost is that he was resurrected in a physical body to an eternal existence. I absolutely believe that with all of my heart. My head struggles with it though. I don't know, how does that work? What does eternity look like? I don't know. So I have this battle in my life because there is doubt and there is struggle, but I cannot allow my brain to believe the things it wants to on a human level, I force it to believe what the Word of God says. So faith is moving ahead despite your doubts. It's being honest about it. Don't we love the honesty of this guy? I mean, who would, which of us would honestly say, yeah, I struggle with doubt? I mean, maybe you would, and I hope you would. I think that the world is tired of, of us saying how much we believe and then seeing the reality that we do struggle with it. We do struggle with doubts. So let's at least be honest about it. But that doesn't mean, just because I doubt, doesn't mean I'm all in. I am all in. I got nowhere else to go. If it's not Jesus, if, it, if he was never resurrected, there is no hope in the world. Everything is meaningless. So I believe with all my heart, I don't know what it's going to look like, I believe with all my heart that I'm going to be resurrected bodily, I'm going to live in heaven with Jesus Christ for eternity, I'm going to look him face to face, I'm going to know people that are there. I'm going to see them. We learned that on the Mount of Transfiguration. I believe that with all my heart. And I've got to put my, my head into submission to the truth of his word. I believe. Oh, I believe. I'm committed. But help my lack of commitment. And I think that's probably very true of many, many of us in here. Uh, and it shows in your life. And, and see, the key here, this guy's not rebelling. Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Jesus doesn't say, well, I believe, help my unbelief. No, you go study, and when you figure it out, come back, and then we'll talk. Go take Christianity 101. Go do the New Believers class. You know, go home. He doesn't say that. He doesn't rebuke the guy. But the guy prays in this very interesting way. He talks to Jesus. He says, Lord, I believe. And then he says this very awesome word that is so hard for us to say. He says, help. Help. I know My faith is struggling. I know I'm dealing with doubts. So Lord, help me. And I'll bet when this kid gets a demon cast out, I bet that helped a little bit. So instead of just saying, you know what? I don't believe. Come in beyond I tell people that all the time. Look, come to church as a skeptic. Come to church as a skeptic. And you watch if God doesn't show and reveal himself to you. If you come this way, Lord, I want to believe. I need to believe. Help me to understand. Help my unbelief. You watch him answer that prayer. It's when you come and you're already made up in your mind that you're not going to believe. That's where the trouble is. And when you say, he doesn't say, I can't believe. The conversation would have been over. The scene would have ended. Closed the curtain. We're moving on. If he said, I can't believe. Or I won't believe. He said, oh, I believe. Help my unbelief. So Jesus' response, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, so now a crowd is, the crowd is further drawing. He doesn't want this to become some circus sideshow for the sake of the Father. I mean, who would want a crowd around your kid when he's struggling like that? Uh, so Jesus, in, in compassion, as he sees the crowd gathering, he rebukes the unclean spirit, and he says to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. What a scene. And he became as one dead so that many said, he's dead. I mean, look, Jesus killed him. And this was bad enough. The disciples couldn't cast out the demon, but now Jesus has gone and killed him. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Whatever, whatever was fried in his brain, whatever connections in his brain that were messed up, were, were causing these seizures, were causing these problems, immediately Jesus, in his healing, rewires the guy's brain. No more seizures. He's completely healed. And when he had come into the house, now we, we have no response. We, you know, we just move right into the household. He, he goes to somebody's house. Um, there's no response of the dad. We don't see any of that. It's just like, I mean, I'd have been, if that was my son, I'd be like, oh, I can't believe it. Well, actually, I can believe it. I'm seeing it. So the scene kind of shifts. Verse 28, when Jesus had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately. You don't ask this kind of thing publicly because it's too embarrassing. Why couldn't we cast it out? I mean, Jesus, we tried. I mean, just like we had before. We did everything the same way. I mean, we, we, had, we know the, the technique. I mean, we, we, we've seen, we, we have it down. We know the steps. We know the right words to say in the right order at the right time. And we wave our hands a certain way and we anoint with oil and we do all these things. And we got the method. But, but it didn't work. Our methods didn't work. Look, let me tell you, if we're trusted in methods, we're in big trouble. And look at what he says to them. And you could substitute programs for methods. So he said to them, verse 29, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now the interesting thing about that statement is that I looked back. I'm looking for anywhere in this passage where Jesus prayed and fasted. Now, you can't fast suddenly. Like, you can't say, well, give me a minute to fast. That doesn't work. And you know, when I I say fasting, it's sort of the the denying yourself food. Now, this is not for a diet program. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the point is, is that Jesus said, oh, to do this to, to this kind of demon, where there's a hierarchy, it seems. There's different sorts of strengths of spiritual demons. You can read about that in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, putting on the armor of God. There's powers and, and principalities that there seems to be a ranking both in, in, in the uh, heavenly kingdom as well as in the uh, ungodly kingdom, in Satan's kingdom. This seemed to be a particularly difficult situation. And uh, that I like this because the disciples are teachable too. And that's important. We failed, but we don't give up. We learn. We learn. What went wrong? It's sort of like a self-assessment. Why why were where was the power? I mean, we, we sang the same songs. I mean, these are popular songs, or we we did we have the same thing and we did it's just not working like it used to. And the challenge of the church is what we turn to is the outward, the externals. Like, well, we want to reach people, so now we got to deal with the external things. You know, we are got to have more of this and have more of that and make it more exciting and try to reach people where, you know, that way or this way. And none of that was the issue here. They were teaching us, why, why couldn't we? This kind comes out by nothing but prayer and fasting. But he didn't pray or fast then. Remember what they went on the mountaintop to do? Pray. This was like the day before, the night before. They went up, Jesus said, hey guys, let's go up to the mountaintop and pray. Well, why? Like there's no, what do we have to pray about? We're just, it's not about why, it's not about a thing. It's about a communication with God. It's about a dependency, an ongoing dependency on God. So Jesus always spent time with his father. So they go up to pray. We remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, what was he doing when he was tempted? He was fasting. Fasting. He was fasting for 40 days. So Jesus, I submit to you, had a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. That was the way he lived. It was his normal routine. Now, the Pharisees did too. But theirs was external for a show. It wasn't about connecting with God. It was about impressing people. And so some of the the commentaries say, well, the word fasting is a later addition. It doesn't matter. Jesus told his disciples, when you fast take it slow. No, he didn't say that. He said, when you fast, don't do it like the hypocrites do it, like the Pharisees do it, who do it just to be seen. So the idea is, when you fast, and we should, but this is America, we love our food. You know, I'm I'm this, I'm that. You know, if you're going to fast, get, you know, make sure it's not against your medical routine or whatever it is, be safe with it. But fasting, you know, you get to that point in your life, you're like, I just, it's not about manipulating God, like, well, God didn't answer my prayer, so I'm gonna fast and make him answer me. I'm not eating, Lord, till I get what I want. That's like, no, that's called babyish. That's immature. But fasting is, I'm gonna take a break from my normal routine. It's amazing how much time you have in your day when you choose not to eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner. If you got an issue that's really bugging you, that's really difficult, that you're, you you know, I need to really... Get, get with the Lord on this. I need to take concentrated time where I'm not distracted and, and seek God on this. Amazing how much time you have in your day when you don't eat. It's like you look at the clock, it's like it's lunchtime, it's 12 o'clock. Whoa, it is now, 12 o'clock. You're like, oh, my stomach's rumbling, it's time to make lunch. And so lunchtime, making lunch, but you go, I'm not eating today. Well, what do I do? I guess I got time. I can go read my Bible. I can go, I can go and spend some time in prayer. You need to. And so, there should be a regular practice in your life of fasting and praying go hand in hand, of fasting and praying, because it is the way that by faith you express your dependence on God. See, here's the thing. Jesus was able to do this spur of the moment because he was always ready. Because he lived a life of prayer and fasting. He lived a life of dependence on God. Some of you know, I competed on a, powerlifting team when i was in my 20s and uh, i learned what it was like to be prepared i mean we knew the date of the meet we know we were going to compete and i knew what i wanted to lift at that meet. i knew i was going to be facing something heavy and so knowing that ahead of time i said well gee whiz i should prepare so rather than the three four months before the meet sitting around watching tv eating fritos hanging out and then, oh, look at that, the meat's today. You know, I go completely unprepared, never having lifted even lighter weights, never having worked toward a goal. I show up at the meat, and what happens? I get crushed. The weight I expected to lift just crushes me. Now imagine if I didn't know when the meat was. Like, I was just going to get a phone call, say, hey, Steve, the, the powerlifting meets tomorrow, the bar's loaded up with the weight, come lift it. Ah, not ready. I didn't know. But that's how many of your spiritual lives are. Look, you don't have to be uh, a genius to know that in this world you will have tribulations. Like we know that. When I mean, you watch Dave Ramsey's video, Financial Peace University, first thing he tells you to do, you gotta have an emergency fund. Why? Because there's emergencies happen, they're predictable. Well, you need to have a spiritual emergency fund. You to have already have having been spending time with the Lord. That was completely horrible English, whatever I just said there. You have to have a lifestyle. Of prayer and fasting, being spiritually connected to God. Had so evidently now we know what was missing from the disciples. They had lacked prayer. They had lacked fasting. They had maybe they had thought, you know, we've been doing this for so long, we, we got it. You know, church can be like that. We've been doing church for so long, we're so good at church now. We don't need God. We got programs, we got books, we got experts. And then we wonder, why is the church so powerless? And, and when we have a prayer meeting, hey, we're having, we're having a meal, we're having a, a, a Bible study, we're having this, and oh, lots of people show up. We're having a prayer meeting. Handful of people. It's got to change. It's got to change. If we are, if we are not going to be a church that prays, then what we're saying is we're a church that doesn't trust God. We've come to trust in ourselves We've come to trust in our programs and our abilities and our power. We have no power. Jesus taught the disciples that apart from me, church, you can do nothing. A church that exhibits the power of God is a church that takes the time to pray. And a person that does the same uh, will also experience what we're seeing here. So, you know, I don't know how your prayer life is. I think you would be like me. We'd all say together, you know, my prayer life is not what it should be. I don't know a single person I've ever asked that would say, my prayer life's great, But sometimes we approach our prayer life like, you know, in a way we would never approach any other relationship. Because prayer, going to God in prayer is not just about getting what we want, it's about a relationship, it's about a communication. Paul told the church, hey, pray without ceasing. So that means it's an ongoing lifestyle of connection and thinking about God all the time. So some of us have a a relationship with God. It's like, well, I got a devotional life. devotional life, and 10 minutes in the morning, I'm going to spend time with God, and I'm not going to talk to him again till the next morning. That would even be better than most. Some of you, today's the only day you'll hear from God. Today's the only day you'll crack open your Bible. Now, if, you were, if you're married, and that's the way you look at your relationship with your wife or husband, you're like, well, honey, you know, I saw you last Sunday. Um, this Sunday, I'll make an appointment. But if something comes up, I can't make any promises. I thought we were married. Well, we are. You know, we have a relationship. Yeah, we do. But, you know, i got a lot of things going on. I told you I'll be there once a month on Sunday. What kind of relationship would that be? And for some, it's like, well, okay, I'm doing better than that. I got a devotional time, 15 minutes in the morning, I get up. And as long as nothing else is going on, then, then we'll spend time together, me and my wife, you know. All right, honey, it's 7 o'clock, it's time for us to spend time together. So from 7 to 7.15, we can talk. But then as soon as 7.15 hits, I got things to do. I'll see you tomorrow morning and I, I won't talk to you all day, and we won't discuss things, I'll see you tomorrow morning. What kind of relationship would that be? This is why God holds the marriage up as a relationship between Christ and the church. You know, we got text messages like, so I talk to Helga in the morning, and we, we, you know, we get our day straightened out, we go our ways, but then all day long, you know, say give a call, hey, how's it going? What you up to? Give a text message, whatever it might be. And so it's a, it's a discussion, it's a communication without ceasing. And that's what God wants from his disciples. That's what faith produces. That's what God wants from, for us and from us. That's what it looks like. And, and Lord, help us if we begin to think that the power is somehow coming from us. We have got to be more and more and more dependent. I, I love to be brought in touch with my weakness. They've just been in touch with their weakness. The more we're brought in touch with our weaknesses, the more we're brought in touch with dependence on God. Amen? Amen. Phil, if you would, come on up. We're going to close in... Uh, how about that for an idea Uh, stand with me if you would let's pray father as we're all now assessing our own prayer lives and the challenges that we're facing with that uh, some of us confessing lord we believe but help our unbelief father i pray you would you would make us a a church that trusts you that looks to you that uh, glorifies you that that keeps you first that lifts you higher It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.